Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. See everyone today. It's a blessing to be here. The Lord bless your new year. It seems um, people have come out with a determination, new year, new start. I'm expecting new things in this new season. And um, I'm looking forward to encouraging you to that end. I know that this is the time of the year when people are, you know, making reflections. People are, um, you know, considering their future and their plans and so on. Um, Often looking for inspiration for the year ahead. Looking for that um, fuel that's going to empower as people seek to make progress and so on. And I also appreciate that. At this time of the year, there can be um, a lot of motivational talk that goes on, um, even from pulpits. And it's not as if that motivational talk is bad, um, but it's not the gospel. And there is a gospel-centered motivation that we're able to have as we look forward to the new year ahead of us. Amen? And so, um, so there's so much that can be said. And there are so many sources that people look to, um, and yet there is no other place to look other than to God himself. Um, We are told by God that his word is spirit and life. Spirit and life. We are told by God that his word is living and powerful, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating to our very souls, discerning between soul and spirit, bones and marrow, revealing and exposing the very thoughts and intents of our hearts. And so as we take time to reflect on the year that has passed and look ahead, the best place for us to be is in God's Word. So I commend you all today for being here. Um, For those who are listening via podcast, um, I, I commend you for starting your year Hopefully in the way that we would hope it would continue, amen? Drawing near to the Lord and looking to him by means of his word and the work of his spirit. And so I want to encourage you today with regards to God's invincible purpose for your life. Sounds good, doesn't it? God's invincible purpose for your life. There are, I'm sure, many aspirations you may have. Some of you may have even made resolutions with regards to your year ahead and things that you want to give yourself to. And yet I want to encourage you that God has an invincible purpose for your life. And that is true for each and every person in here today. The reality is that some people will discover that purpose Everyone's looking for purpose. Everyone's looking for significance. People want success or significance or both. Ultimately, it comes down to having something to live for. And often we see it when we, you know, we watch those crazy YouTube videos where people are jumping off tower blocks like the skyscrapers with just a a little shoot on their back and, and they're throwing themselves off or they're climbing up on these crazy cranes with no parachute, no lines, and they're doing handstands. I don't don't know if you've seen stuff like that, but 
people do some crazy things. I saw a, a video the other day where people were cliff jumping, and you know, we may be familiar with cliff jumping in the sense that people go and stand on the edge of a cliff and dive off and do somersaults and all that sort of thing, and it's a really high cliff, and that's great and wonderful. Um, when we was in Jamaica, we saw that in um, Negril, and, and um, I can't remember, is it Rick's Yard or something like that, and they got the cliff jumpers there. And you're kind of you're impressed, but you're also like daunted, like, don't even ask me to go and look over the edge of the cliff about jump off. These guys I saw in this video were cliff jumping, and they were jumping in between the creases in the, in the cliffs. And they were sliding down the, the rock face of the cliff as they were going into water below. I'm just thinking, how do people come up with these ideas? People are looking for significance. They're looking for purpose. Looking to make their mark. Looking for fulfillment. And yet, some people will discover true purpose only in that they discover a real relationship with God through Christ Jesus. And there is no greater purpose. There is no greater adventure for us who believe. I are oh, my word. So we're going to be looking at Second Samuel chapter 7. And um, we're going to be learning from one who sought to pursue purpose. King David. He was a man who sought to pursue purpose. And he learned firsthand about God's invincible purpose. For his life. And we'll see how that speaks to us today. I'll pray as you turn there. Heavenly Father, I do thank you so much just for your faithfulness, for your kindness and your goodness toward us. I thank you, Lord, for the fact that none of us here are a mistake. No one, regardless of the circumstances surrounding our birth, regardless of the circumstances surrounding our conception, none of us are a mistake. You have, you have foreknown every single one of us in that no one is a surprise to you. No one was born and you was like, oops, okay, where did that one come from? And you have a purpose for each of us if we would look to you to discover that purpose. And so I ask that you open our eyes and our hearts to hear from you today as we look to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Second Samuel chapter 7, I'm um, looking firstly at verses 1 to 3. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Now David, king of Israel, a unified nation, and he in chapter 6 has just um, marked a milestone in the life of his monarchy and in the life of the nation. The ark of God has been returned from the Philistines and it's come into Jerusalem, the place of the king's throne. And for the first time in the history of God's people, we see the 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 unification of the throne of the king with the, 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 the religious order, if you like. We see the unification of kingliness and righteousness in one place. Now, if you've been around here um, 
recently, you will hear us talk about the fact that God's kingdom is reflected in three very significant things. God's people in God's place under God's rule. So places are important in scripture. They speak to us with regards to the purposes of God. And so David is in Jerusalem as the king appointed by God. Because remember, the people asked for a king and God gave them Saul. But the king that God had intended was David. And so he sent Samuel the prophet to go and anoint David as king, even as a shepherd boy. And so now David, as God's anointed, is in the seat of power and yet in the place of righteousness. The Ark of the Covenant, representing God's presence among his people, is in Jerusalem. And so it's a great achievement. And we kind of get the sense here in these opening verses that David is actually kind of feeling quite accomplished. He's, 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 it's, it's a bit like you might have felt on Boxing Day, maybe kind of just kick back a little bit you've had some good food it may not have been overly abundant you know times of austerity and so on but you've had a little food and you're feeling a little bit comfortable now David was feeling more than a little bit comfortable because he has seen a great accomplishment fulfilled in the ark returned he's there in Jerusalem and he's he's prospering he says look I live in a house built of cedar now, cedar is a very hard wood, and it's a hard wood to, um, to, to, I would say, forest. I don't even know if that's the right word, but to basically cultivate. And so it was an expensive wood in its time. And so he's basically communicating, I'm living lavish. I'm living plush. And yet, God's up lives in a tent. Now, if you go back to the time of Moses, you'll remember that God told the people of Israel to construct a tabernacle, which is basically an old school word for a tent. And it was in that tent that he was going to meet with the people. And that tabernacle was like a portable, it's, uh, not quite like a porter cabin, but it was, a, it was a portable structure in that they would put it up and take it down a bit like a gazebo. And you know gazebos are a nightmare to work with, right? You ever try putting up a gazebo in the wind? And the rain? Not nice. We used to do it at God Corner all the time. And so they had this tent that they would put up and take down and move around. And over the years, you can imagine that this tent has become quite tattered. Maybe a little raggedy, a little frayed around the edges. A little worse for the wear. And so you've got this tent that God's presence is... Um, positioned in where he meets with the people and yet David's sitting down thinking man I'm living nice I'm living comfortable how does that even how how is that even right when I consider the representation of God's presence among us It's encouraging because David had a heart for God. For us as individuals, when it comes to our future considerations, most of us will be firmly centered on ourselves. 
That's, that's just human nature. We'll be centered on ourselves and concerned for ourselves primarily. You know, how am I going to prosper? How, what progress do I need to make? What changes do I need to make? What, things, what can I look for by way of resourcing? Um, you know, what do I need to commit myself in order to? And our consideration is for ourselves. I heard somebody once say, look, if you're ever in a, ever in a conversation with someone and you don't, wanna, don't know what to say, the easiest thing is to talk about the other person. Because we are inclined to talk about ourselves. Some of us too much. Every conversation is about ourselves. No matter where it starts, it always ends up about us. But the reality is that that is human nature. For some people... They're not just interested in themselves, but they may be interested in others. How are you doing? People of compassion, people of consideration, wanting and interested to hear about how the other person is doing. I heard somebody once say, actually it was Kian who quoted this to me. Um, You know, people generally are not interested in how you are. When they ask, really, they're just waiting for an opportunity to talk about themselves. Because <laughs> we tend to expect that, right? Like, how are you? We're expecting that to come back at some point. <laughs> but there are, no, we shouldn't be cynical. We shouldn't be cynical because God is good. And there are those who are genuinely interested when we ask. And yet still, how many of us, as we've sat down and considered the year ahead, I've actually thought about God and what he is doing and what he wants to do and how we can please him and bless him and delight him with our life and submission to his purpose. See, we see this expressed here in David. David's desire is for God and for the honor of his name, not just his own name. Is your consideration for 2015 for your own name? Is you, David's not sitting here thinking, you know what, God has, has blessed me and um, I appreciate that and I'm in, I'm in a place of comfort. Let me seek God about how I can increase my territory and how we might bless me further. Because for some of us, that's, that's how we look at things, right? It's like we will think about God, but only as much as what he can do for us. How he might be able to prosper us. And we fall into the trap of thinking that God exists for us and not us for him. The biggest song of 2014... Furthermore, the biggest song of the decade was in 2014. Any guesses? Thank you. You just, I mean, at first you're like, yeah, nice. A good, wholesome, fun song. And then by the the end of like a month, you're just like, why? Please, I'm not happy anymore. (laughs) Happy. I, I think it's had something like a billion YouTube hits all told with all of the different versions and so on and sales like I mean ridiculous the anthem of the age 
at first I was encouraged. I thought, you know, it's, it doesn't say I want to be happy. It's like, because I'm happy. It was one of them feel-good tunes. Lyrics didn't even make sense. <laughs> if you feel like a room without a roof. That, that ain't a good room. A room without a roof. Breeze, rain, everything coming in. But we're happy, you know. I feel like a room without a roof. And, but I was encouraged when I first heard it because it wasn't just complaining and moaning and, and you know, they say, they say misery loves company and it's just like, oh, woe is me, what are you saying? It wasn't one of those songs that we so often hear. She left me and I don't know what I've done even though I slept with three other women and like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like madness. It was, an, it, was a, it was a good, wholesome, fun, positive song. But what it really spoke to me about is the fact that it really communicates the spirit of the age where happiness is the chief idol of our time happiness is the chief idol of our time and so people's desire and people's intent and people's reason for living is to be happy that isn't what we see portrayed in scripture happiness isn't the chief end of man. God does not exist merely to make us happy. Although, through relationship with God, we can sing that song. Through relationship with Christ, we can sing that song genuinely. Because I know Jesus makes me happy. Sometimes in the most like, simple ways. Sometimes just hearing... My ladies, any one of them, because they all do it, when they're singing in the shower. <laughs> my wife is the chief culprit. No. <laughs> and that's where my girls get it from. That delights my heart, man. That makes me happy. Simple thing. Spending time in the Word of God and just getting revelation makes me happy. Seeing God work in people's lives makes me happy. It don't have to be all about money and notoriety and all of that kind of stuff. Cherishing the simple things that we have from the Lord. But the chief end of God is not to make us happy. The chief end of man is to glorify God. And we see a sense of that in David's heart here. David's like, nah, the honor of the Lord's name. May that be our heart for 2015. The honor of the Lord's name above our own, even above our own happiness. Are you prepared to say that? Lord, I'm, pre- I'm willing to lay down my happiness for your honor. May the Lord find us in that place. I think that Jesus said it well in Matthew 6, 33. Matthew 6, 33, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. There's a song that um, myself and Pastor Rob do called El Shaddai and it's just about the fact that God is more than enough. He's our sufficiency. He is the all-sufficient one. He is all that we need. And he, he, Pastor Rob's got this lyric. You know the verse, Matthew 6, 33. God provides certainly. That's why his blood bled burgundy. And we have complete assurance that in seeking first the kingdom of God, 
we will be satisfied because God gave his all. He gave his very son for us. Romans 8 says, having given us his son, there is no good thing that the Lord will withhold from us. God's invincible purpose. Moving on in 2 Samuel 7, looking at verses 4 to 7, we see how God, God corrects David's aspiration. God refines David's aspiration. It was a holy ambition, but there was something, a little bit of drift there. Verse 4, but the same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David. Thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel? whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? So, verses 2 and 3, David's speaking to Nathan, who's a prophet. I want to build a house for the Lord. Nathan's like, go do that. It's all good. It's all right. Notice, neither of them sought the Lord. Neither of them sought the Lord. Now, maybe there was a sense in which they felt that there wasn't a need to seek the Lord because David's aspiration was in keeping with God's word. So in Deuteronomy chapter 18, God had spoken by the mouth of Moses that he was going to give the people a place, a place of permanence. When you come into the land that the Lord, is your, the Lord your God is giving you, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, so God at this point is speaking in advance of the fulfillment that he is going to do this. He's going to give them a land. You shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a wizard or a necromancer. Now that's a whole nother sermon all in itself. Oh my gosh. Juju. <laughs> For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. So remember, the context is the land. God is giving them the land, and he's saying he's going to drive out the people before them. Verse 13, you shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. So God made it clear that he was going to bring the people into the land, and drive out the nations before them. David's seen this happen in his time. And so for David to turn around and say, well, you know what, we're in the land, we're in this place. This is the place that God has given us. So why not build a house? It was a reasonable thing. But they never sought the Lord. Um, it is 
necessary. It is healthy. It is proper that we as Christians are people who have holy ambition. I would say if you don't have holy ambition in Christ Jesus as a Christian, as one who walks with the Lord, then you are a dysfunctional Christian. If you don't have some desire to see God glorified in and through your life, in the context of your life, then there's something wrong. The Bible talks about us not having a divided heart or a double mind. That we're to be fully persuaded in our own minds with regards to our commitment to the glory of Christ. I think that as an observation, there are many of us who struggle with the desire for worldly things. There are many of us who desire the things that the world esteems to the point where our hearts are divided, our hearts are double-minded. In James 1 it says that the double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. As you're going into 2015, if you're looking back on a period of instability, maybe this is a, a good time to have a pit stop and check your metaphorical tires. Have you been double-minded in terms of your relationship with the Lord? Have you had mixed motives as you've walked with the Lord, one motive to please Him and one motive to please yourself? See, David had a heart for God. He never sought the Lord. He was even moving in ways that were in accordance with the word. And that's a beautiful thing. And yet we can be encouraged that in that, the Lord is able to direct and guide us. We may have a holy ambition for the Lord. We may desire to do great things for the Lord. That's a good thing. But as we have that, and as we cultivate, and as we nurture that, it gives God opportunity to refine our journey, our progress, our path, according to his specific will for us. So we always say, look, give yourself to the general will of God. What the Bible says. And he from there will lead you in his specific will for your individual life. And if you drive or are learning to drive, especially if you're learning to drive, your driving instructor, I'm sure, if, especially if it's Rebra, Uncle Brian, will tell you about dry steering. Dry steering. You know about dry steering? You don't know about... That doesn't surprise me, Linda. <laughs> I was told this morning that you bought your driving license in Nigeria. I, was, I rebuked him for saying that. <laughs> dry steering is when you steer the vehicle while it's not moving, while the wheels are not turning. It's not good for your tires. We're exhorted against dry steering. God's not involved in dry steering. We're not moving in his will. We're not moving in his direction. And yet, we're expecting him to steer. Jesus, take the wheel. We're expecting him to turn the, the car where it's supposed to go and lead us to prosperity and progress. And we're not even moving in his direction. We move in the general will of God 
and he will lead us then ably. Power steering, you know. To see Jesus recline or on the hand, palm on the wheel. Leading us in his specific will for our lives. So continue giving yourself to the general will of God as we see David doing here. God had to check him. I never asked you to build me a house, you know. It's not like I need you or I need anyone. See, that's the reality. God doesn't need anyone or anything. There's an there's a old school word that they used to use with regards to God's self-existence. And it's the aseity of God. A-S-E-I-T-Y. Old school. It's even hard to find in dictionaries these days. And it basically means that God is self-originating. It's a concept we don't understand as created beings. People say, okay, well, you say you believe that God made everything, right? <laughs> what about evolution? Your, your theory don't even make sense, yeah? God made everything. Well, who made God? And people think they're really, like, smart with that big question. Like, who made God? I always say to people, you know what? If I could give you the answer, it would kill you. I can't give you the answer. But we cannot contain the answer to the origin of God apart from the fact that he's self-originating. He is self-existent. Now that doesn't make sense to us. We just have to bow to the greatness of his majesty. You see, human reason has been elevated as divine. So we think that we're supposed to be able to figure out everything even by means of Google. Someone's thought of it somewhere. We must be able to Google this and find all of the... Google is a representation of our collective consciousness. The information age, where information reigns. And we figure as humans, we can figure out everything, man. Come on. We can't figure God out. And there are people who are in mental health institutions right now because they've tried. I remember, speaking, I remember one time I was out in Fort and Heath, just randomly had a conversation with some guys. Started talking about the Lord. Tutus. Yeah, we sit down, we talk about God all the time. Man, them get together, draw for some Cavossier, draw for some um, Ren and his nephew. We build up a spliff, a zoot, that's what they said. But. And we sit down and we talk about God and we reason, you know. And I'm like, wow. Yeah, man, you should come. <laughs> it's ministry, isn't it? <laughs> Puff, puff, pass. <laughs> it's ministry, man. It's ministry. All things are pure. No, 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 no. <laughs> People try in their own way. It was interesting to me that they had to kind of really just zone out, relax themselves, go into another space before they could even begin to contemplate them great theories. Get charged, get buzzed. We can't understand God. God is self-existent. He doesn't need anyone. God's not lacking anything. Sometimes the simple things in terms of the way that God works, God is very happy with that. God doesn't esteem things in the way that men does. God has a greater purpose and plan. God says to David, I never asked you to build me no house. Furthermore, let me tell you something, David, verse 8 to 11. Thus you shall say to my servant David, God speaking to Nathan, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture. Hold on, remember where you're coming from, David, and who brought you? 
Remember where you're coming from, David. Remember, you was just a, a youngster. You was a younger in the, in, the, in the sheep pen. No one was even, Samuel came to the house. He, no one even called you, David. They lined up all your seven brothers, David. And you, no one called your name. You was out with the sheep and they didn't care. Samuel came to anoint the king and they was looking at your big strapping brothers, handsome. <laughs> you were out in the pasture following the sheep. I brought you from there that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. David, I've done this, you know. I've got this, David. And I will make for you a great name. Like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. How about you want to make me a house? Like I can't do that for myself if I don't want to. Furthermore, I'm going to make you a house, David. And so we see here an expression of the fact that God always takes the initiative. God always takes the initiative in fulfilling his purposes. God isn't reliant on anyone. So as we seek the Lord for 2015 and what his will would be for us, as we seek the Lord for the future and just how we might, you know, some of us are committing. January, boom, I'm on this. I'm reading through the Bible. I'm going to start again. Because <laughs> you know how it is. By the time you get through like March, Leviticus, boom, it's over. <laughs> I've had this on my heart. By God's grace, next year, we're going to have a church-wide Bible reading plan that we're going to go through together. Ne for by by next year. Now, I, I, it's not even just big talk because we've already got a plan laid out that we use for discipleship ministry training. So we just need to adjust the calendar of it. That's a 40-week plan. We just need to adjust the calendar of it and then structure it into our, our, our life as a church. And we're able to encourage one another as we go through the Bible, right? That's a tremendous thing. Maybe, you know, like myself, you, you recognize that there's certain character flaws that you really need to submit to the Lord. Amen. We submit these things to the God and we seek, we seek the Lord. And yet we recognize that God is not limited or reliant upon these things in order to fulfill his purposes in us. And furthermore, it's not just what we would do for God, but it is what God will do through us. God has redeemed his people in order that through them, he might have his will and purpose fulfilled. This is made clear in 2 Corinthians 5. Jesus died for all. In order that all those in him would no longer live for themselves. 
Because we've died with Christ. I'm paraphrasing. We've died with Christ. We're dead. And so it's no longer us that lives, but him that lives through us. Our lives are not our own. We cannot think about 2015 and think purely in terms of our goals, even godly. We have to be submitting ourselves before God and saying, Lord, what would you do through us? What would you do through me? What do you want to do in my life? What do you want to do through my life? And it was by means of this that God refined David's focus. Reminding him of where he was coming from. Reminding him that it was me, the Lord God, who was present with you. And it is me who is going to further my work in your life. Don't get gassed. Don't get proud. Don't get arrogant. See, sometimes we can even be arrogant in righteousness. We can be proud in righteousness. We see this in Peter the Apostle, right? So as a disciple, he followed Jesus. And at the time when Jesus was arrested, they were there in the courtyard. There were some unbelievers there. And Jesus says to Peter, listen. Well, first Peter says to Jesus, you know what? I'll never let them come and take you. I'll die first. Now, that was a, a real godly intent. He wanted to be loyal. He wanted to, he wanted to back it for his, for his savior and friend. But it was self-reliant. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Apart from grace, we can do nothing. John chapter 15, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus turns around and says to Peter, you know what? You're going to deny me three times before the cock crows, before, before daybreak. That's quite a contrast. I'll die first. Oh, well, furthermore, you're actually going to deny me? That must have put a stone in Peter's throat. What a blow to a man's ego. And so said, so done. You see, even on our best days, we have nothing to offer the Lord. And yet God has purposed to fulfill his invincible purpose through your life. Because we have nothing to offer the Lord, we shouldn't go to the other extreme and say, oh, well, you know, Lord, I'm not, I, 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 there's nothing I can do. It's, it's all you, Lord. It's, I, you know, I, I, just, I don't know the Bible, and I don't, I, don't, I don't even know how to share my testimony. and I don't know anything, so, Lord, you somebody else, you somebody else. I, I'm, I'm just going like, to you know, just hold my corner. No. Where is the faith? Where, in the, where is the faith in he who has brought you and been with you and will use you according to his good pleasure? From this we see, as it says in Proverbs 19, verse 21. In Proverbs 19, verse 21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. It's good that we seek after God. It's good that we have a holy ambition, and yet it's important that we don't be self-reliant, proud, arrogant in what we feel we are going to achieve for God because we can do nothing. As God refines 
that desire to be brought into line with his will and purposes, we will experience great progress. Psalm 37 verse 5 says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. You know, very often, the, the evident will of God for our lives is learned in hindsight. Very often, we, we pursue God and we pray and we seek and we, we look at the word and we receive godly counsel and we go forward and we go through the experience and it's only after we've been through the experience that God's will becomes explicitly clear. That's fine. We shouldn't hesitate to pursue God and to do his will for fear of failing. God is able to lead those, to guide those who put their trust in him. That's how it's been for us as leaders. It's not that, you know, I remember one time I was um, visiting a radio station in North London and there were some brothers who had a gospel show on the station. It was a mainstream um, local station, community station. Um, it wasn't actually a pirate station because I know that's normally a euphemism for... Like, it's a community station. That means it's an illegal station. It, it was a legal station. And um, there was a... There was a, a, a we had shared a song and they were talking about the fact that we were pastors and we had been involved in music and so on. And so the, the interviewer turned to me and he said, so, so when did... When did you know that God wanted you to, to, to become a pastor? And I was like, mm, well, you know, it was kind of progressive, really, to be honest. And um, it was very much a case of the Lord was leading my life in a certain direction. I stopped for a minute. I looked back. I could see that direction he'd been leading me in. And then other people began to affirm to me that this is what, you know, it seemed clear that God was leading me in this direction. And so I took courage in that and I stepped out in faith. Oh, 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 oh. He wasn't happy with the answer. So when did you get your calling? When did you get the calling? As if I was going to have some Damascus Road experience, see Jesus in the cloud. Ephraim, come follow me and lead my sheep. It, it, I never had that. We never had that. And apart from people like the Apostle Paul, where you see as an exception to the norm, that's not generally how God calls his people. So if you're waiting for the, the cloud hand, it's you. <laughs> and you're spiritual to recognize it's not the lottery. But it... Yeah, yeah. So anyway, it's not going to happen. There's going to be no cloud-shaped hand, a hand-shaped cloud. There's not going to be no booming voice. There's, it's not necessarily going to be... Now, there are some people where... You know what? God speaks to them like some people. Have, I've had certain dreams in my life I can look back on. I had this. I've, I've, when I first became a Christian, after I got baptized, I had three very vivid dreams that I can remember to this day. That's over 25 years ago. Three very vivid dreams. One of them, it was like I was in front of um, a group of people and we were walking around these walls and it was kind of like um, Jericho. But it was, I don't know, modern. And um, we, we were there kind of milling around. And people was like, what are we going to do? And I was like, look, let's just stand in the Lord and go forward. And so I ended up by default becoming a leader and leading the people around these walls. 
Now, that was one of three dreams, and I won't go into the others for the sake of time. But when I look back, I can see how even then, in that dream, and you ask my wife, I'm a man, when I sleep, I sleep like the dead. I don't normally dream, and I'm afraid I do snore. So men, on the next retreat, just bear that in mind. <laughs> if you're gonna... I'm a man, when I, I don't really dream dreams too tough. Sometimes I dream dreams and they're just random weird dreams. Just pepper in the pizza. The devil's trying to... You know, the devil actually can really try and infiltrate our, our psyche and our emotions and so on through dreams. So we have to understand that not every dream that we have comes from God. We must be discerning. We must prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. But we see through scripture that God can speak to us through dreams as well. It's not unbiblical. But we're not to put our confidence and our reliance and build our life upon a dream that we've had. It is the word of God upon which we stand. And so those things are only supposed to illuminate the word. Not displace the word in terms of authority. And in hindsight, I look back and I see how the Lord was communicating to me at that early stage of my walk about leadership and me be, being a leader. I can look back on that now and see that clearly. But I can't tell you that I had those dreams and all of a sudden it's like, yes, I'm going to Bible college at, at, at 21. And now I'm going to be a Christian leader. And it wasn't that at all. And it doesn't have to be that. God may give indications as to his will and his purpose. But as we go on to see in these next verses, God is working in a way that is truly invincible. And he allows us to be a part of that tremendous, unfailing work. So the Lord says to David, at the end of verse 11, moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And when he speaks to David about a house, he's not talking about a physical house. He's talking about a household or a dynasty. A, 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 a um, prominent lineage. A dynasty. So in the East, they're very familiar with dynasties in the, in the Asian context. Chinese, they talk about the Ming Dynasty, and basically it's a family line that continues throughout generation as rulers. And so God's saying, I'm going to give you a dynasty. In verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring. Key word. Key word, offspring. I will raise up your offspring after you. It's a word that, on the face of it, it can be hard to say if it's singular or plural. Offspring, you look at that. Is that singular? Is that plural? Is that one person or is that several people? Well, it's very helpful that we have that consideration because it is singular, but it is also plural. You know, God's deep like that. He can just say two things in one word. I mean both of them at the same time. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. For he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will dis discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. 
by my steadfast love will not depart from him. Sorry, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan Nathan spoke to David. So God's saying, look, I'm going to raise up an offspring now. You have to remember in Jewish ears, this is going to ring like a bell. Because from Genesis 3.15 at the beginning, just after the fall, we see God make a prediction, a prophecy, a commitment. God made man, everything was good. Man disobeyed God, everything went bad. Are things ever going to get back to how they were? When we used to walk with the Lord in the garden in unbroken fellowship, sin has entered into the world, brought corruption. And yet God made a promise that he would raise up an offspring who would destroy the works of the enemy. And it was an allusion to the gospel. It was the first reference to the gospel in a clear sense. And so as the word offspring is shared, this expectation of this rescuer who will come and restore all things to, to its rightful condition and restore man to, its, to our right relationship with God would be ringing in their ears. Was God saying that David's son was going to be that person? See, God is speaking about David's son, Solomon, in these verses. Let's not neglect to acknowledge that. From a historical point of view, God is speaking about Solomon. But he's not just speaking about Solomon. So God says, I will raise up your offspring. I will establish his kingdom. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. And then he goes on to say, he shall build me a house. Okay, this is what God done in Solomon's life. In 1 Chronicles 22, verses 6 to 10, we see this expanded on. Then he called for Solomon his son. This is David speaking to Solomon his son. And charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, my son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord, my God. But the, Lord, but the word of the Lord came to me saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies for his name shall be Solomon and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. So, in our verses in 2 Samuel, God making this covenant with David is speaking about his offspring in the the, the natural sense. And Solomon fulfills this. He builds the temple. And we have a lesson that we learn from this before we... Skip over to the conclusion. And the lesson is this. Sometimes 
we have a desire to do something for God. And God will say no. God will say no, not yet. And we may have to wait. God may say no, not you. It's a really helpful lesson to learn as we seek to be used by God, as we seek to have God take our lives and use it for his glory. It's a very helpful lesson to learn. I'll tell you why. Because it helps to deal with the true motives of our hearts. So often I hear guys like, yeah, I just want to represent the Lord, whether it's musically or through filmmaking or through whatever medium. I want to represent the Lord. I want to go out there. Even, you know, guys want to be pastors and so on. I want to preach and so on and so forth. And my concern is always, I hear that. That's tremendous. But is it purely for the Lord's glory? Or are you trying to share in that? Because the reality is that oftentimes we can, we can seek God's interest because it will benefit us. And I heard somebody once say, look, the real test of whether or not that desire, that dream, that vision you have for the glory of God the real test of whether or not that comes from God is whether or not you're able to see someone else do it and encourage them and pray for them and support them. I want to do this and I want to do this and I want to do that for you, Lord. And so on. Praise God, wonderful. But if God says not you, are you going to be prepared to, as David here, we see you, you read Chronicles, David laid up the resources. David supported Solomon in fulfilling the vision that he had. Are you prepared to support someone else who's doing that which you desire to do? And sometimes that can be hard because our identity can get wrapped up in the things that we do. And we can become defined by our achievements and our accomplishments and our activities. And so therefore, it can be hard for us to relinquish and let that go. But if it's truly for God, we trust that God will, as he said, I will establish, I will provide, I will appoint. I God will do what he wants to do in his way. And it may just be that the Lord uses us as a catalyst to initiate the fulfillment in the life of somebody else. A mature believer will say, praise God and amen, your will be done. So God is speaking about Solomon, but he is speaking with a greater anticipation. He's speaking of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the eternal king who sits on the throne of David. We see that in Matthew chapter 1 verse 6. The genealogy states that Jesus is of the line of David. Both the, the genealogy in Matthew and in Luke affirm the fact that he is legitimately of the line of David. When it comes to building a house, 
a house was built. In fact, three temples have been built and destroyed. They were only mere representations of God's intention to build an eternal household, an eternal dynasty. Jesus himself acknowledged this in John chapter 2. The Jews challenged him in verse 18 to 22 of John chapter 2. They said, what sign do you show us for these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said to him, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? The narrator tells us, verse 21 and 22. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. And when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. They believed the scripture. I believe that this is speaking of the scripture. Remember, they had the Old Testament then. They believed the scripture, 2 Samuel 7, as we're reading it. God's intent to build a house of the lineage of David. Jesus is the fulfillment. And you know, the people of his time understood that. Because when he was on the cross, they mocked him. Ah, you said if we destroy the temple of God, you're going to rebuild it in three days. They understood what he was talking about. He was nailed to the cross now. He's like, yeah, you're coming then. Let's see. Lo and behold, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. He arose the victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose. He arose. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Listen. Too stush. <clears throat> Praise be to God. Christ is risen. And so he is the eternal king who sits on the eternal throne of the household of God. And we are those who are of that household who believe in Christ. First Peter chapter 2 verse 4 and 5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men. But in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So the temple and everything that it represents is fulfilled in Christ and expressed through the people of Christ. Jesus is the temple. It's hard to get your head around that, a person, temple. But all that the temple means and all that the te temple represents is expressed through us, the church, who are his body. We are that temple. We are that household. We are that dynasty. Now, when we consider that, we recognize that we are therefore participants in God's invincible eternal purpose. Invincible eternal purpose. That's why verses like Romans 8, 28 continue to fortify and strengthen us even in the times of trial and challenge. For we know all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his what? Purpose purpose that is embodied and fulfilled in Christ Jesus. 
We have been brought into that. And may we not forget how we've been brought into that purpose. It was through his death. Through the shedding of his blood. And through his resurrection. It cost God everything. And yet we are heirs of an eternal kingdom. And as a result, we should be humble. And like David, and as I conclude, let's listen to the end of of this chapter. And David's change of attitude. At the beginning, David's like, genuinely, "Ah, I need to build God a house and honor him. I'm living nice and he's in a shabby tent. Can't work. I got to do this. Listen to the tone at the end. From verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. You see, this promise was given first to Abraham. David's recognizing he is, he is, he is being um, engrafted as a participant and an accessory to the fulfillment of the covenant made to Abraham. Something that's bigger than himself. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. You're God in heaven. I'm here on earth. I'm going to let my words be few. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness. To make your servant know it. Therefore you are great. O Lord God. For there is none like you. And there is no God besides you. According to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel. The one nation on earth whom God went to redeem. To be his people. Making himself a name. And doing for them great and awesome things. By driving out before your people. Whom you redeemed. For yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you establish for yourself your people, Israel, to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house. And do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established before you. God is going to do it. David's recognizing this is bigger than me. Bigger than anything I could propose. You are going to honor your name. Verse 27. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are true. And you have promised this good thing to your servant. And now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken. And with your blessing, Shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Wow. What a contrast. What a contrast. 
David's humility as he recognizes the greatness of God in response to his desire for the honor of God's name. And so may we too be humble before the Lord, recognizing that it is God who, who fulfills his purpose. And he chooses to use who he wants, when he wants, how he wants. And yet he has invited us into relationship with him through his son to become a part of his household and participants in the fulfillment of his invincible eternal purpose. That may look like different things in our lives as individuals as we give ourselves to the general will of God as he then begins to lead us specifically in different ways, we're able to rejoice at the diversity of the body. And yet still, it is only found in Christ Jesus. You see, the reason why people do crazy things looking for fulfillment and purpose is because ultimately, not to say that those things are not, that are wrong in and of themselves, but true fulfillment and true purpose, true significance comes when we realize, when we submit to he who is the significant one. He who is the one that is God's purpose of the ages. Jesus is going to return. A new year, another year closer to the return of our king. And he is going to establish his dwelling place on earth among men. God with us. All of the plans that we can have apart from that are going to go up in flames. They're going to burn to ashes like matches, as one brother said. Only what you do for Christ will last. Some of you, ain't, some of you didn't want to hear that today. You wanted to hear how you could be successful in your progress. Only what you do for Christ will last. Only that is of eternal value. And so as I asked the, the team to come back and join me, my first consideration is for those who have yet to submit your heart to Christ as Lord. You know about God. So did the Jews. They knew about God as they spoke with Jesus. And yet, there were many, if not most, who did not submit to Christ as the eternal king. Knowing about Jesus isn't enough, but it's necessary that we admit our guilt before God. Somebody said it's as easy as ABC, that we admit our guilt before God Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ alone, trusting in him, confessing him as our Lord and Savior. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you like a lawyer, like a barrister in the court of divine justice before my Father in heaven. Obviously, I paraphrase that. But that's the truth. That's the reality. And there are those of us who know that, but we need to repent. Because we have made other things our goals. We have made other things our aspiration. 
as opposed to seeking the fulfillment of God's eternal, invincible purpose in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I rejoice at your goodness. I rejoice at your mercy. I rejoice at your faithfulness. I rejoice in you, Lord. For you are good. Your mercies are new every morning. Your love endures forever. And that, Lord, we could know today that we are people made in your image for your purpose. I pray, Lord, that there would not be one person within the sound of my voice who would not find their true purpose, their true reason for being in you. May everyone, Lord, find the reality because, Lord, there is nothing more fulfilling. There's nothing more progressive. There's nothing more exciting. There is nowhere else to find success apart from in you as a partner in your honor, in, in the fulfillment of your purpose, in your success. Help us, Lord. Forgive us where, Lord, we have made other things our aspiration. Even godly things, Lord, we've approached in our own strength, in our own flesh, in our own might, thinking that we're going to do this, that, and the other for you. Lord, work through us, we pray. We give you ourselves. Acknowledging our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He who is the head of the household of God. Have your way among us, Lord, I pray. In your name and for your glory. Amen. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.